0: With the holidays just around the corner, now is the time to order holiday cards for family and friends. Only this year, why not create custom holiday photo cards quickly, easily, and affordably at simplytoimpress.com. Simplytoimpress.com is your holiday photo card headquarters with thousands of unique Christmas cards and other designs to choose from. All you do is upload your family photos, personalize the text, and you're done. Simplytoimpress.com prints your cards on your choice of premium card stock In just a few days and rushes them straight to your door. Maybe that's why the New York Times wire cutter named Simply to Impress their favorite photo card service. They even offer foil cards and hundreds of great holiday card designs for your business, too. Place your order today to save 30% and get free shipping. Just enter promo code DEAL at checkout. Save big on holiday photo cards today using promo code DEAL at simplytoimpress.com. That's simplytoimpress.com.
1: Hey, Jack. Uh, Whether or not my political views keep me out of the Hall of Fame is not really even relevant. The game doesn't owe me anything, you know, Uh, and a group of people judging me who are in no way qualified to judge me are doing it, so whatever.
2: How much would it mean to you personally to make the Hall of Fame, despite what anybody says about your, your beliefs off the field?
1: Ooh, um, you know what, I can't, I don't know. Initially, when I retired, uh, I thought, I, and I got, like, I don't remember what the percentage of votes was, but I was like, that's kind of, that's cool, you know? At least peop, some people thought of me in that sense, so I'm good. And then it it became, I think, uh, focused on things that weren't on the baseball field that I had done or said, and and it became meaningless in that sense, in the sense that people who uh, were flawed, as or more flawed than... Anybody else I knew were going to be judging my character. Um, And no, in 2001, we didn't feel like the villains because everybody was rooting for the Yankees. So that's okay. It it worked out the way it was supposed to. And the bloody sock, uh, no time to give you the whole story, but uh, it wasn't ketchup. Anybody that says it was, just tell them that the white gold in the World Series ring was real. (laughs) All right, take care, man. Merry Christmas.
0: I'm so bummed. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's probably gonna break up with you. She's definitely gonna break up with me. Should've used Tick Pick.
1: Wait, what'd you say? Tick Pick. Look. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, Tick Pick. I thought you said Tick Pick. No hidden fees. Download today
2: so it's all good sweet man are you you're in LA right now everything good there
3: uh, yeah I mean I guess relatively speaking they're doing some some pieces right now I'm teachers on Santa Monica Santa Monica has been hit pretty pretty bad by writers and looters and whatnot so uh. a little bit of an uncomfortable feeling with with a bunch of the people in that area but yeah it's a, it's a trying time wild times where are you at
2: I am in the suburbs of northern New Jersey, so I am completely oblivious to anything that's happening in the real world. Gotcha. <laughs> what's,
3: um, what's, where, where, whereabouts in New Jersey?
2: Um, near Morristown, so like the Mendham area, if you know where that is.
3: I do not. Like, I, I, um, I was in Jersey a couple years ago when, when Philadelphia won the Super Bowl, and uh, I was in Newark for a little bit, went up to Hawthorne, and then um, – and then yeah, I made my way down to Philadelphia. So didn't spend a whole lot of time there, but uh, but yeah, I was I was kind of curious like where in retrospect uh, you were at. So you what we, but, uh, was that the Eagles
2: Super Bowl? Why were you in Jersey? Um, I had to go out there and cover some some basketball tournaments, ah. and um, I I first got into New York, then went down to Jersey, and then
3: covered these few events. It was like four more events in five days so i was up there and then after i was done with that then it was on the saturday and then we went down to philadelphia to go you know basically go see the town go visit it was my first time there so I took a train down and um had a great time in philadelphia so it was great i mean i was only an hour 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 and ten minutes on a train down to philly so we were like screw it let's do it it was cheap and we did that and parted our butts off and yeah and, uh, yeah so you know, I like the I like that area just in terms of the way that you know, transportation is able to get you from Boston to New York, New York, down to oh yeah, to Philly and DC and all that stuff. It's just really quick. Um, so yeah, I, that's the one thing. Obviously, we don't get here in Los Angeles. Everything's by car and everything's stuck in traffic. So drastically
2: different. I I lived in a town. I think it was La Mirada, next to Whittier, kind of near. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, uh, and I honestly—I was two summers ago. I loved living out there. I would, I prefer it out there. I guess it's just me growing up here, and then you're you growing up there. Uh, what, what What do you think was your favorite place to uh, visit? Like, whether it was broadcasting or just visiting, like outside of LA. Man, it's
3: so tough. I, uh, I, see, I'm one of the rare people that I, I know in my in my broad circle that is actually. Traveled a lot in the United States. Um, California-wise, I, I mean, I love LA, Pasadena. That's in LA, but Pasadena's a great city. Uh, I've always been partial to San Diego. Part of it's because I went to school down there, worked down mm-hmm. there, and and you know made some great relationships down there with people that I still talk to, to this day. Um, outside of that, Scottsdale, a great city. Oh, yeah. Um, being, a, being a baseball guy, I would go out there with a couple buddies, like three or four of us would go out, and we'd go to Scottsdale for spring training. So we'd go out there in March. We'd go from Tempe to Scottsdale, Scottsdale to Phoenix, and we'd just bounce around, like watch the you know the Dodgers, the Cubs, um, San Francisco Giants, oh, yeah. uh, Diamondbacks, and Rockies. So we'd be there. I like Philadelphia. Philadelphia family spent uh, – uh, a day or two there, that was fun. I went to school in Boston. That is a wonderful city. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, St. Petersburg down in, in Tampa Bay, Florida, the a, a chill spot. Um, I love Denver. I'm a huge Broncos fan, so growing up as a kid, <laughs> I, I always uh, wanted to play for the Denver Broncos, so I've been out there. Um las vegas in the early 2000s was great i don't know it's, it's, it's a tough question there's there's all kinds of different things about so many cities kansas city the barbecue out there is great oh, the ball yeah. is, a, is a spectacle so yeah it's tough man it's a, it's a tough question because i i truly do love a lot of the different uh a lot of the different elements of this country that offer so many um so many things to, to any individual that goes traveling in and out. I, I will say that I I haven't been to, to Kentucky yet, so I haven't had the op- opportunity to to visit any racetracks or go do any <laughs> distilleries you know, for, for bourbon and whatnot, but uh, I, I do want to do that. that. That's a bucket list thing I want to do. I haven't been to Daytona yet. I haven't been to the Indianapolis 500 yet, so... Those are a couple things on the on the sports doc that I definitely need to
2: do as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, me growing up in Jersey, I got family in Boston, New York, DC. I go to school in Phoenix at Grand Canyon University. You you covered uh, the uh, UCLA or not UCLA UC Riverside athletics. Did you ever get a chance to hit up Grand Canyon Uni- University while you were in Phoenix? So
3: I so I covered Grand Canyon, but that was when they. That was when they played CBU, Cal Baptist. University. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I covered them when they came out, but no, I haven't been out to Grand Canyon. Uh, it was, it was great to see Thunder Dan, Dan Marley, take over as head coach when they when they got to prominence, you know, first off. Yeah. But I, I haven't been out there. Um, just so funny speaking of, it, I can't really lift it out, but I I do like DC. Washington DC is a really fun city. And it it almost reminds me of New York and Las Vegas. When you get into the city, there's just a buzz about it that's so unique. It's a different kind of feel and energy.
2: Oh, yeah. And I'm sure, like you said at the beginning, Santa Monica right now. Santa Monica was always crazy. just bumper-to-bumper traffic. I can only imagine what's going on right now, given everything that's been happening over the past few months against, like, the craziest time i think anybody's ever experienced ever who's alive on this planet right now are you guys actually uh, working in studio right now or are you guys still uh, uh, uh self-quarantined
3: uh they, it's a combination of both we have people like myself in studio we have some of the talent that's outside so it's a, it's a healthy combination of both we're trying to practice obviously social distancing and and doing a good job of that and at the same time it's it's a challenge because you're our platform at Fox Sports Radio is a twenty-four-seven platform, so we're on all hours every day, and you, we're operating a, a full, full functional radio uh, show and and network that you can't, uh, yeah, you can't turn off and you can't record. So, yeah, we are, uh, you know, we got the combination of both.
2: Yeah, I mean, you got radio, you got the, uh, the podcast on iHeart with Ben Maller, the Fifth Hour Show. What do you think, what do you prefer, podcasting or broadcasting? Because I've always said that they're like two completely different animals.
3: Yeah, it, it's a good question. Um, there's, nothing, there's nothing like live radio because you're flying without a parachute and you're flying without a safety net. Yeah. And when you go when you go live there, there's nothing like it because you you have to commit to something, you have to walk the plank and you have to say it. And at the same time you you have to you have to make sure that you're entertaining. It's one thing to, to be on television and to be entertaining because oftentimes you can use their videos and overlay and other support to, to make the show entertaining. But radio, it's you, the microphone, a co-host, if need be, and that's it. You get very little sound, and you just got to do it. So I do like radio in that sense. The one drawback, I think, is that and it's obviously just the business side, but you have the commercial breaks and the spots that take over. And so you lose some momentum, I feel like, in certain instances where you're really on a good topic and you can't pivot. You have to hit the brake right. and, and pause for a couple minutes for for commercials to air and then you get back into the flow of things. And that's what I like about the podcasting world. Ben and I have a, a good relationship and a pretty strong understanding of each other. The, the unique thing that I have w- with Ben is that I, I know how much work he puts into his craft and... As a broadcaster, it doesn't matter if you're a host, a play-by-play broadcaster, an analyst, an anchor. You, know, you got to do the prep and you got to do the homework behind it. Right. And so, for him to for him to put on a four-hour show every night, Monday through Friday, I've worked with him, and so I know the amount of of work that he puts into it just to prep for a four-hour show. And he's not a one-trick pony. So he had a good variance and good and flow to his, his craft. And so I think when you work with somebody like that, you're you're not pressured, but you're compelled to, to elevate what you do. And at the same time, you have to feel natural and relaxed about it. But he had allowed me, when I first started with the network, to feel comfortable and to I don't want to say ease me in, but to hit me with a bat, like yeah. hey, you can't be soft. You can't be soft with this because neither myself or the listeners that listen to my show are going to go easy on you. So, yeah. you better get in or get or get the hell out. So, doing the podcast is great because we can go long form. We can talk about whatever we want, and then on top of that, you know, Ben and myself aren't just sports guys. We have other interests we do other things but we also like other stories that are out there that maybe are too taboo for a radio show on sports and even in in, on a news talk show and we cover that we cover that at a really good length because let's face it there's color there's entertainment there's hilarity involved in all of it and more often than not people are. or quite honestly, afraid to even go towards some of the subjects that we, that we touch up on. Oh, yeah. So we try to cover the entire canvas of that, and the podcasting world allows you to do that. And we do it quite well, and I think on top of that, we can get and bring in any guests that we want and talk about so many other things that are outside the sports scope because you, get, you run into the redundancy at times without asking some of the garden variety questions And that just becomes so boring and stale after a long period of time, especially if you're an avid sports fan, where you know you'll hear the same
2: answers and the same quotes and the same coach speak nine times out of ten. Oh, yeah, especially right now when you can literally talk about three or four things. I think that was, like, the biggest thing I was going to ask you there when you brought it up. I mean, he's got his show four hours a day for five days. Like you said, you guys have your own show where you talk about multiple things. Do you guys have to run that by – uh, people, producers, or other people before you go on, uh, Aaron, talk about it. If you are talking about certain things, whether it's you know films or music or other interests that you might have that aren't sports.
3: So, so Ben and I produce produce our own shows. Okay. Uh, so we don't. No, we don't do that. What we do like to do, for the sake of of content, is we'll never we'll never elaborate on the subject. Let's just say, for example, you and I are talking about. Um, let's say you and I are talking about steroids, and we're talking about McGuire and Sosa. Uh, and I pull a story that actually has inside information on who is injecting. Right. Uh, you know, Sammy Sosa on steroids is. I would only mention to you. Yeah, let's let's talk about steroids and Sammy Sosa, and Mark McGuire. But after that, I wouldn't go deep into anything else. The reason why is because you want to keep the conversation that you'd have on air organic. You don't want to have anything that's pre-planned, pre-programmed, because you start thinking about what you're going to say once the show comes, and you, you lose all all uh, organic effect of, of you know the entertainment aspect of right. it. So, uh, yeah, to answer your question, no, we don't we don't bounce anything off of other people. We communicate before we go on the air. Um, but outside of that, we have free reign from, from our bosses to say and do what we want. And that's one of the benefits of where we work is we're not compelled to stick to a, a single script and we're not obligated to stay in a one lane. We can, we can veer off in the slow lane, we can veer off in the carpool lane, and we can go as hard as we want as long as it's not obviously inflammatory or completely insensitive or just Ron and raunchy that uh, someone would, would turn us away.
2: Have you ever suggested something to him or vice versa, him to you, that you both kind dis- one of, or one or the other disagreed on? Just like, no, we, there's no way we could talk about that the here. Uh, no, no,
3: I, 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 throw, I, I like to throw a lot of different ideas at Ben, and part of it's just because his his social life is drastically different from mine. given the fact that when his when his show ends, it's usually at 3 a.m. Pacific, but the guy doesn't go to bed until like 6 or 7 o'clock in the yeah. morning. So his his body clock is different than mine, where I'm you know waking up at 7 or 8 in the morning, he's going to bed at that time, but I see some of the news early in the day that he doesn't. But I like to pound him with ideas because something will stick, and even if it doesn't, at least it gets his, his mind working. I think mean, the only thing that we don't agree on is that I try to watch – a lot of TV shows, a lot of movies, and push him that way. <laughs> and he's not a movie or TV show kind of guy. He likes documentaries. And so we'll, we'll discuss documentaries that are that are on right now or that have come on in the past, and we'll elaborate on those. But outside of that no, we have – I know him and he knows me yeah. in terms of our style that if you put – like, if you put him – in any kind of radio format. It doesn't matter if it's sports, pop culture, political. He's nuanced enough or he's intelligent enough that if he doesn't know the answer or doesn't know the subject, he'll pick it up shortly. And I feel like I'm the same way
2: too. Wow. I mean, that's great to have chemistry. And just to completely kind of switch lanes here, again, aspiring sports uh, broadcaster, why sports broadcasting for you? Because I know like your story going from, on the field, being an athlete, to in the booth, and even doing some work in sales. How did all of that culminate for you?
3: Well, I I, uh, I, I envy those like yourself that are doing it now because yeah, I did I didn't do it. Now, I, I um, my light came on. They always say the light goes on for everybody at different times, and my light didn't go on until. And um, so I had some life-changing experiences. And so when, when I was in high school, I had thought of myself as, as a guy that wanted to play at the Division one level in football or baseball and I went to an extremely small high school, was not recruited at a high school because we didn't have the we didn't have the, the technology then for, to market. you know most kids now in high school can have Games are showcased on Time Warner or Spectrum Sportsnet or Fox or ESPN. I didn't have that luxury, so although I felt I was a big fish in a small pond, I was obligated to go to a junior college to play football and continue my career. And I had the aspiration of, I, I thought confidently I was good enough to play D1 major college football and if I got lucky and I stayed healthy, I can get to the NFL. Like I just had that in my mind, I had that in my heart, yeah. And that's what I wanted to do. And um, I tore my rotator cuff the second time in, in a three-year span, and the last time was against UCLA in a scrimmage, and that ended my playing career. And I was, you know, a couple years away from graduating. And I just thought, what am I going to do now? I, you know, sports is in my life, and how do I turn that thing off? And it was really hard for me. It was hard for me to get away from not competing because I love to compete. Yeah, I love to push. And I love to work out and those things. I love the camaraderie. But I, I couldn't do that. And so I needed an escape. And, and I always, you know, I, I liked the elements of broadcasting and I like to talk and I like to tell stories and I liked to socialize. And I thought, well, why not be a sportscaster? I love Vince scully and Bob Miller and Chick Hearn and Dick Enberg and all these guys. one do I I kinda echo that and and follow that path? Well, that was all fine and dandy
2: until I found out how much starting off in sports casting and how much you make. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and at that
3: time I was working in sales. I was working for a health club back in the day called Valley Total Fitness. And I was making pretty decent money. So you add that on top of living in San Diego and being around, you know, good looking women and having a social life yeah. and good money. I thought, well, why would I wanna go and work in Montana making twenty or thirty thousand dollars a year when I can make a lot of money and live a quality life and work in real estate and not have to do that? And the years went on and I just found out the hard way that money wasn't the driving force for me Mm -hmm. it never was but it never was but the the comfort of the money was great right and i I thought you know i i hit a time in my life where a longtime girlfriend of mine that i probably should have married that didn't happen um got laid off from a job and then got turned away from buying a house and all that stuff came at one time and so I thought, I need to do what I wanted to do, ultimately. And so I went to grad school, and I, I got in and got out in 11 months. And, and from there, it's been a, a hustle ever since.
2: I mean, I guess everything happens for a reason. I mean, how difficult was it kind of building your craft as a play-by-play guy? I mean, obviously, everybody's still evolving, even today. I'm sure you're still evolving your voice today but how how quickly or efficiently were you able to work on your craft as a broadcaster well
3: part of it's easy and part of it's hard the yeah. easy part is that i grew up in a city where i had three hall of fame broadcasters so while they didn't teach you this in school i had Vin scully on my tv all the time i had bob miller on tv all the time i had Chick Hearn on my television all the time, and guys like Dick Enberg and Bob Costas and Al Michaels. So I was able to listen and watch these guys all the time. The, the application of the craft is different because you want to know how they get to where they're at and also how they can perform at such a high level, and that means spot charts and spotters and color commentators and, and things of that nature. I was naked going into the industry. I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. Yeah. I didn't know how to you know, operate, you know, going in and going out. My stand-ups were terrible. Um, my voice inflection was, was suspect. And although I feel like I have a powerful voice, how to craft all that and to speak in such a, an eloquent and measured tone, uh, it can be challenging, especially when you go from radio to TV or TV to radio because there's obviously to get in as a technical director, and as a board op in San Diego at at iHeart Media in San Diego for the San Diego Chargers flagship station at the time, and you're just hoping for a break, and so at that time, I was in the building every day for hours and hours and hours, and it's it's a challenge, too, because don't forget, while you're trying to work on your craft, you're also trying to take take someone else's job. Oh yeah. And so people are people are obviously cognizant of that and there's a lot of times people don't want to help you. People don't want to help you because if you succeed they could be on the out or if you succeed, you know, there could be a jealousy component in that. And I didn't deal with, with that per se, but I did deal with, you know, certain guys not wanting you to to climb right. like they did. And they would suppress your work or suppress your efforts, and and not allow you to share some of the spotlight. Which for me is a little frustrating because playing in team sports and playing football and playing baseball and all those other sports, you know, you ride together, you win together, right. and you lose, you fall together. And so, I, I like working in a team environment. So those things that came together, you know, they, they do come. And you know, I've, I've bounced around a couple different networks some stations as well, and I, I have the luxury of working in sales, so I knew exactly how to take rejection. People saying yeah. no, or people saying that they love your work, and then just ghosting you, <laughs> 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 or, or people just not responding to any kind of inquiry, and at the same time, I've, I've kind of kept my head down, and um, listened. I've done a lot of air checks. I've listened to myself yeah. on the air, and I send my stuff out to people for evaluation, because you know, I, I, you're going to have friends and family that say they love your work, but they're not the ones writing the check. Exactly. They're not the ones hiring you. So I, I needed critical feedback, and the fact that I can take the feedback and not complain about it or not get down about it is a is a luxury that not a lot of people have or that they haven't developed yet because it's a, it's a numbers game. You need one, but you need to go through a hundred people to potentially get that
2: one. Yeah. Do you have any big, uh, uh, like your biggest mentors in broadcast? Like you mentioned, the Vince Scullys and the Bob Millers of the world, growing up listening to broadcasters. But now that you're in the business, do you have any uh, big mentors that give you a hand? Like you just said.
1: Um, that's a good question. I I think that uh, you, you try to.
3: I don't want to say you mimic, but you try to to emulate how people are. And I I, I watch people on the national platform and listen to them more more now than I ever did before. And, And part of it's just the way that they infuse the English language. And so when I watch sports or when I listen to sports, I watch everything, football, basketball, baseball, hockey Listen to English Premier League announcers, yeah. and and I'll listen to guys that are calling rugby, and so I try to take different things from, from everybody to, to make it my own. Um, I don't have a, a mentor per se. Uh, yeah, I'd love to have one, but you know, in this game, with where I'm at, the stage that I'm at, I, I feel like you're you're hunting for your own food, yeah. and so you like to have that, but I feel like people that are young and starting off, they can get that pretty easy because you gotta learn the, the basics first before you, you get into the deep end of the pool. And I feel like I'm in the middle portion of the pool right now. So I'm really hunting with the sharks. Yeah. And like I said before, you are you're competing with these other people so it's uh, it's almost like an actor that's trying to get that, that big box off the picture. It's not to say that I'm anything like that, but you get the DiCaprios and the Tom Cruises and the Brad Pitts of the world, and they're all pitted together. Well, I'm trying to get a seat at that table. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be the best me that I can be at the same time, also
2: be as, as uh, considered as possible when trying to make that approach. Well, on the topic of that, you mentioned that a few times. Where it's again not you're not an athlete, you're not on a team where everybody has each other's back. You're vying for each other's jobs. Have you ever seen that up close and personal? Someone like uh, I w- I don't want to say sabotaging one another, but like a situation where it seemed that way. You, you see it
3: a little bit. Yeah. Um, I've, I've been I've been fortunate to to not um, I've been fortunate not to experience and part of the reason why is I just believe in the relationships that I've, I've developed and, and the communication that I've had and I, I think the, the way that I got into the industry working as a producer and a board up, you learn who treats you right and who treats you wrong when you're at the bottom of the food chain and I always made a promise that if I ever got on air, I would never treat someone that's behind the scenes in a negative light because yeah those people have the ability to make you look good or sound good and they have the ability to make you look bad and sound ugly. And, uh, and you owe it to yourself to rise above everything else. And so don't ever forget that whatever is happening behind the scenes while you're on air, you can't let that affect you because at the end of the day, your picture, your voice and your image is a part of that package and so, nobody will ever know who was behind the scenes, but they will make sure that they don't forget who you were, call me oh, yeah. game, call me event, whatever it may be. So, um, I've been fortunate. I, I've, I've heard some wild stories, and, and I've seen from afar, um, people, you know, not not putting their best foot forward, for whatever reason that may be, but you know, keep in mind everyone's on a different path in terms of where they're at structurally too. So if you're not, if you don't look at this as a passion project, or if you don't look at this, like it's your last game calling it, you might act a little bit differently. Or if you don't like the person you're working with, you might, you might be off per se. You might be off for a night or two and and not want to, not want to mix it up. So (laughs) um, it's, it's unfortunate, but I, I think that the industry is so small that if you try to be like that on the regular, you'll get added quick. Yeah. And you'll find yourself without a job rather rather fast.
2: Have you worked with difficult producers or directors throughout your time in broadcasting? Like, was there ever a time where maybe the expectation level was a little bit higher with this guy as opposed to that guy? Um, I, I've worked with... I don't wanna
3: say difficult. I, I was I can say some that maybe aren't as communicative yeah. or some that are, are new. Um, when you when you work with new people don't forget that they're also trying to learn and they're also trying to get their bearings down so they don't know the all the ins and outs they're susceptible to make mistakes and then in turn it has a trickle down effect to you too Yeah. so uh, I always make it a point when I'm working, you know, if it's television I always make it a point to, to talk to my producers, talk to my director talk to recording producers well before the event so that's a day before, that's a couple of days before and talk to them about anything or everything outside the event because if you can establish a rapport with them and talk to them like you guys are friends and then become friends, th- that makes the flight that much easier yeah. because you don't have to worry about what you're saying. They don't have to worry about what you're saying. And then you can kind of get into that dance when you're on air. Um, and at the same time, if you're thorough with what you're doing, then you've laid out some expectations. And at the same time, they know what you're going to be delivering, and they can either match it, they can up it, or they can improve if they're lagging
2: behind a little bit. Yeah, and what's the relationship with uh, coaches and players when you talk to them either before the game, after the game? Because obviously, what you say about them during the game has a reflection on your reputation.
3: Yeah, I, I'm. There's a there's a part where more so now while. Well, casters whether it's for a regional network or for a team that
2: you might feel that they're calling with a slant with a bias yeah uh, it, it's tricky it's a tricky
3: proposition but i come into the mindset that you don't want to play your audience for a fool and i like to call what i see or I like to call what i hear and i'm going to give that to the audience too so i'm i'm perfectly candid With my coaches that I talk to or the schools, I've never been told not to say this or not to say that unless it's maybe an injury, like something that could be dangerous down the road or something unknown, which is understandable, but I don't pull any punches. I I won't go out and light somebody up and just pound them in the ground and say something on air like that's a horrible call or he's doing this, he should be doing that. Nothing of that nature. I call things right down the middle, but I've always, always talked to, to coaches and done my best to, to articulate some of the messages that they've given us because their, their antidotes are, are great for on-air broadcast and you want to establish those relationships because you never know what's going to happen down the road. And the longer you talk to these people, the more information that you'll get, whether right. it's one game or ten games. And so you never want to burn that bridge. At the same time, you want to be honest. You don't want to be a pushover, and you don't want to be taken advantage of either. So I've, I've been fortunate enough to having been played, you know, was placed in sports and playing in sports in the college that I, I'm point blank with these people men women doesn't matter who they are I tell them flat out hey this is you know this is something I don't want to talk about can you give us some information or we're going to ask you about this can you get into that and they have the option obviously of saying yes or no and Mm -hmm. if they say no so be it that doesn't mean that we're not going to acknowledge it when we're on the air but that's that's to their you know that's their prerogative right
2: and obviously you had a lot of experience uh, growing up through the field, obviously minor league baseball with the Bakersfield Blaze. What what's it like working in in minor league baseball? Because obviously, you got to do play by play. You have media relations. You're doing interviews, press releases. Uh, working yeah. with the players. Like how difficult, fun, and I guess humbling is it working in minor league baseball?
3: Uh, I guess the difficult part is is the lifestyle and the diet. Oh so yeah. When you- you know, when you're when you working in my league baseball, we had two days off a month. That was it. Two days off a month, and you're playing 140 games. Oof. And the, diet, the diet's challenging because we were there usually 10 hours of the day minimum. And, you know, you're not typically cooking for yourself, and you're eating fast food, or, or you're eating out, or you're eating other food that's not necessarily prepared for you. And so you gain a lot of weight unless you're, you know, I have a chance to work out in the morning times or even work out with the team when they'd head to their local gym. But uh, outside of that, that was was the biggest thing. Um, It's good in the sense that you can establish a relationship with the coaches and the players for an extended period of time, and you can get inside stories and inside information that people on the outside won't get. And then on top of that, when you're at that level, there is an expectation that they're going to go to double-A and triple-A rather quickly and eventually make the big leagues. And so when I was in Bakersfield in 2016, I would venture to say that half of those guys made it to triple-A. They all advanced, though, and so a portion were cut, but they all advanced to a higher level. And it was good to see because you know, the, the environment the Seattle Mariners had crafted in their farm system was that there was an expectation that you're going you're gonna to show up and, and, and sell out. Otherwise, we're getting rid of you. And it was a great level of competition because these guys, they worked their, their collective asses off, yeah. and it was on full display on the field. And so um, I'm, I'm a baseball guy. I mean, I love hockey. I love baseball. I love basketball. I love hockey. But baseball guys can talk about the game for such a long period of time, and there's really an art to calling a baseball game because it's you and the microphone, and it is a lonely feeling for 9, 10, 11, 12 innings. You need to make sure that you're really in-depth with your homework because... If you're not,
2: you're going to run out of material by the time you get to the third inning. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. How is, it, how is it dealing or, I guess, working with players at that level, I guess, advanced uh, single leg? Because so obviously those guys not far away from their college playing days. Just working with college athletes myself, you, you've done uh, plenty of college uh, athletics as well in broadcasting. How difficult is it uh, kind of communicating with the younger players as opposed to the more professional guys?
3: Well, it, it kind of it brings you back to school. Yeah. It brings you back to when you were in college and, and it brings you back to the um, sometimes the sophomore attitudes. but they look at you just like you look at them. They, they want to know what you're doing. They want to know how you got to where you're at. And at the same time, you're kind of curious about them. Um, there's not a major age discrepancy for me just yet, especially at the, for the minor leaguers. So don't worry about that, but you, you do you do look at them as wow these guys are 24 25 years old they got a healthy signing bonus now let's see how they act now let's yeah. see what they do with their money and um you, you're you're just curious because you only hope for the for the best for them because once you get a shot like this you get drafted you get those signing bonuses now you know you're on the clock and they are a paid employee and you know you're one injury and one call-up away from getting to the show, and a lot of these guys can sense it.
2: And what's your take on the whole baseball situation right now? It seems like they're playing, then they're not playing. I really don't trust anything I see in, in the media anymore with baseball. What's your whole take on the whole MLB situation? Well, it's
3: unfortunate. One yeah. of the reasons it's unfortunate is because they're playing ball in Korea. So oh, yeah. you, have, you have what's going on in Korea. These guys are playing baseball. There's social distancing going on. Um, you know, you, you talk about the game itself. You're up 90 feet up the third and first base lines. There's your distance right there. And, you know, from now to home plate, like, what are you talking about here? So there's a great deal of distance. And whenever you don't know the answer, the answer is always money. Oh, yeah. And that's what it comes down to for the owners. That's what it comes down to for the players. The disheartening thing about all this is that it's happening not in a year that these players are striking, but it's happening in a year where there's a, a pandemic and a major downturn. So we have over 40 million Americans that are without jobs being displaced and laid off and terminated. And you have billionaires and millionaires fighting over large sums of cash and it has a trickle-down effect because the farm systems now have been decimated. And then on top of that, you're looking at local cities, small and big, and major markets that carry television packages for MLB that are displacing employees because that was the bulk of their inventory for the year. So you have these producers, these directors, these PAs, these editors that can't work because there's no games being played so it it really it hurts everybody around and it's unfortunate and and you you want to be as proactive as possible but now we're talking about something that the thought was there in january and february it was accelerated in march and now as we creep closer towards july they haven't come to an agreement this comes down to leadership on both ends, Rob Manfred and, and Tony Clark. Yeah. And you hope that both of them just, they say shut up and sign on the dotted line and let's agree to it, and, and they have it. Um, would I be sad if there's no season? Absolutely. Would I be shocked if there's no season? Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, you, you think about the way that the negotiations have gone back and forth, Players say they're ready, but they're not really, and then on top of that, they need three weeks of spring training before they get their sea legs underneath them, so yeah. we'll
2: find out. I mean, it's a tricky situation because uh, uh, what well, the CBA is coming to an end after the 2021 season. I mean, it, it seems like that there could be a chance, I don't want to say it but, and jinx it, but there could be a chance that we could see another strike after the 2021 season if things keep going the way they are. Well, the
3: other thing too is that the news that had broke last week about the union getting together and them talking about what was going on is after Turner Sports and Major League Baseball struck a deal for an extension of an agreement that would pay them um I I believe it was 480 million dollars a year
0: yeah
3: And, and so it was a bump in revenue on television rights and so that's a that's a deal that would take them through 2028. It's a billion-dollar deal that, that that they're getting, and still low ball.
2: I know. If, if, if anybody, I, I could imagine, like, there's a handful of owners. They said, I think, around eight owners that don't want to play baseball, or at least that's the speculation that there's a few owners out there that don't want a 2020 season. One of them's got to be Jim Crane, because the Houston Astros – for me, I thought they were going to get slammed this year. For me, I don't know about you what your take is, but it seems like they're probably going to get off the hook when it comes to just fans bashing them throughout the season.
3: Well, don't forget too they escaped the the great blue and that's that's the All-Star game which was supposed to be played at Dodger Stadium yeah. this year in Los Angeles. So they avoid the public humiliation from Dodger fans All-Star weekend and then on top of that, if you have no interleague play, you're not getting the Dodgers um, if they if they were coming together for that. And, of course, you'll, you'll get some heat with the Angels. Uh, the Angels were supposed to be pretty decent this year, so you know, we'll find out. But, yeah, you, you miss a lot of things now. And, and don't forget that even if there is no season, uh, Jeff Linnell and A.J. Hinch, we we'll
2: be able to get back to work next year. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. And, again, uh, just a couple more questions for you. I don't want to take too much of your time. I wanted to go back to you for a second with your time on radio, TVs, play-by-play. Have you ever had any, I guess I'll call them blunders, any really bad broadcast blunder, or kind of a mistake that came out, whether it was, like, accidental or just, like, verbiage that just came out wrong and it just sounded wrong? Because for me, like, just yeah. in college, I've had a few times where I, I think I said sacrifice blunt instead of sacrifice bunt in a softball game or, like, uh, shot cock instead of shot clock in a basketball game. Have you had any, like, really bad blunders?
3: Yeah, I've had, I've had one graphic one, and I had oh. one that got the nerves, the nerves got the better me. Um, in fact, I, I mentioned earlier that my stand-up said suck. Yeah. When I first got into it, when I when I first got on air in TV at Fox Sports West, the day of the event it was a soccer match for the championships in the Big West Conference of women's soccer. Um, the television strike that we were operating on had crashed, and so we had no video replay, we had no graphics, and we had nothing that would allow us to to do a what they. They call um like a tape to record open, and so I had to go live on the open, and I was really nervous because I'd never go. We I, at that point I'd never gone live on an open before. Everything was taped out live to tape, and on top of that, we're in the game at Cal State Fullerton, so where we broadcasted from the press box was different. We had to go all the way down these big flights of stairs down to the field to do our open, so. I had a race down to the to the field to do the open with my color commentator. One take, one take only without tripping over myself. And we had never worked together. And I, I sort of stuck the landing. Like, it, it wasn't the cleanest open, yeah. but it was good enough. And then I had a race up within 60 seconds to go upstairs and get back on the air and then introduce the starting lineup. <laughs> so I did that while I was breathing hard, but... I had to go back down the field for half, and I was interviewing the uh, commissioner of the conference. And when we were trying to wrap up the interview, my producer was talking into my ear of the IFB, and she was telling me to to lock out, close out, throw the commercial break. And I didn't know if it was hard-timed or not, so I rushed my exit with the interview with him As soon as he had mentioned... Uh, or as soon as he had said something to answer one question, I told him thank you for his time, and I put the microphone to his face so he can say thank you or whatever, and as he was saying thank you and he was continuing, I pulled the microphone away and just turned to and I said, all right, guys, let's throw it to break as he was still talking to me. Uh... So I I cut him off pretty bad, and it it was pretty embarrassing. Nobody said anything to me, but I felt embarrassed. And then another time, I remember uh, I was doing an opening kickoff for the third quarter of a game, and I mixed kicker and punter. So I, uh, I went a little graphic with my language. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it, uh, you, you spell something out. And uh, it, was, it was not good. I, uh, I was a little embarrassed by that. Now, I was digitally, so it wasn't on live TV. Okay. So I had the produ- producers edited it out after when it made the live TV. But, yeah, those are two things that I was, I was really,
2: really, really impressed. Uh, uh, was that that one uh, expletive, I guess I'll call it, was that just like in the moment, in the spirit, it just came out and you are just like, oh, crap.
3: I combined two words, that's all it was. I had the thought of a kicker and a punter, <laughs> and I didn't combine the two words for some reason because the guy that was kicking was both the place kicker and the punter. So, I, uh, yeah, for some reason I got logged up and uh, combined two words. And
2: uh, Yeah, I'm doing the math in my head right now. I think I got it. <laughs> yeah, if,
3: if, if, if anyone wants, the, if anyone wants the, to be walked through it, uh, I guess you could say, like, they, they say it's, it's considered see you next Tuesday. See <laughs> you next Tuesday is the abbreviation of that. Uh, it, was, it, it was not one of my finer moments. I was, uh, I was embarrassed. And oddly enough, I think only one other person caught it, but I, I sure did because uh, I was the guilty party. Yeah.
2: <laughs> hey, you're still here, though. You're still here. Uh, last question for you before I let you go. For you moving forward in broadcasting, in radio, whichever network it's for, what do you think your biggest goal is moving forward?
3: Uh, well, I have two goals. Uh, my, I, I guess, a passionate goal of mine is to call an Olympic event. I don't care if it's winter or summer Olympics. Yeah. I, I definitely want to call an Olympic event. Uh, I've always been fond of, of calling something for, for NBC and there's nothing like calling an Olympic event for your country. So I've, I've always been passionate about that, and I've always looked at that as when you get to that level and you call an Olympic event, you're, you're doing something right, and you're on someone's radar that's, that's the right way. Uh, the other one is, is I want to work on a, on a regular basis for either – a regional network or, or a team and and I want to be considered one of those guys that you can plug in in any kind of sport and he'll call a good game yeah. um, one guy that comes to my mind immediately is Kenny Albert Kenny Albert does football baseball basketball hockey boxing and he is always working and he's always hustling and that's the guy I'd like to to emulate because there's a lot of people that can do football. There's a lot of people that can do basketball. But there's not a lot of people that can do hockey, baseball, basketball effectively. And I I believe that I can and I have in the past. It's just about doing it for a a major network on the regular, um, no matter where I'm at
2: and like by major network do you like mean like espn fox sports or like a, a team network like a specific team that you'd want to broadcast for well
3: if, you, if you're crossing over from sport to sport yeah it'd be for a major network so espn cbs fox nbc um all of those uh, you get plenty of people that cross over in the networks of course tnt or tbs um I, I grew up as a I grew up here in LA, so I oh, no. supported all the local teams except for football. I was A huge Broncos fan. Uh, I, I guess if there was just some kind of dream, I know the networks call those games, but I was would call a Denver Broncos game on radio. That would be,
2: yeah, that'd be, uh, that would be awesome. That would be, uh, that'd be quite a treat. Now, were the Rams around when you were growing up, or were they already in St. Louis at that point? Or you just didn't like the Rams?
3: No, they were. yeah. They were, they were around, Raiders and Rams were around, but I grew up as a Denver Broncos fan. I, it was pretty funny. I had a, in, in fourth grade, when I started liking sports, um, my, my teacher at the time signed all of us in this class, a book report that was due the next Monday, it was on a Friday, and obviously none of us wanted to participate in it. And she says, okay, I'll tell you kids what, if you pick the winner of the Super Bowl, uh on monday you don't have to do the book report so we all went one by one picking the the winner of the super bowl and every single person in the class picked the same team so i wanted to be different i was like screw it i'm gonna be the smartest guy in this class i'm gonna go the other way i'm gonna pick denver well it was the super bowl that denver played san francisco and got blown out 55 10 and so i was the only idiot in class that had to do this book report (laughs) so I, I thought, you know what, I, I stuck with them when things went bad for me, I'm going to stick with them throughout, and I was a huge John Ellway fan growing
2: up too, so that's oh yeah. I was a Broncos fan. You so. can't go wrong with him. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a Cowboys fan, I grew up in Jersey, everybody in my family's Giants fans, uh, it was like a Giants-Cowboys game, uh, one of the first few years in the new AT&T Stadium, and I don't know, I was fighting with someone in my family and the Cowboys won on a game-winning field goal, everyone was angry, and that's when I started watching football, so I was just like, you know what, I'm a Cowboys fan, and I've been a Cowboys fan ever since. Well, yeah,
0: there you go, I gotta stick to your guns, man.
2: <laughs> well, David, thanks so much for taking time out of your night to talk to me. I always say that these are going to be like 20 minutes, and then I always go over like 50, so uh, thanks thanks for hanging in there with me, and uh, again, enjoy the rest of your night, man. Yeah, you too,
0: Jack, have a good one, Thanks so boned i forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow and now it's sold out it's her freaking birthday oh dude she's definitely gonna break up with you she's definitely gonna break up with me should
1: have used pick wait what'd you say Tick-pick. look oh whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa, what there are no hidden fees what'd you guys think i said oh pick i thought you said tick-pick. no hidden fees download today